Well, hello, Avenue, and happy Easter. Easter Sunday is a very good day to know the risen Jesus. In fact, if we were all together right now, I would be shouting out, Christ has risen, and you'd be able to shout back to me, he is risen indeed. In fact, let's do that, even if you're surrounded by people, and let's do it. So Christ has risen. There, that only felt a little bit weird. Now, in the lead up to Easter this year, I have been really helped by some words written by the theologian Tom Wright. Because according to Wright, the events of Easter help us as Christians to understand what our lives as God's people in this world are really all about. See, in the Easter story, Wright writes, we see God take the very worst thing that could possibly happen and transform it into something extraordinary and brilliant. I just find those words so helpful after all the challenges and the struggles and the uncertainties of the past year. See, the death of Jesus on the cross that we remember on Good Friday really was the worst thing that could possibly happen. The worst sin humanity could ever commit to murder the Son of God who had done nothing wrong. And yet, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' great victory over sin and death. We celebrate the glorious fact that the living God, the God of the Bible, is the God of resurrection. He's the God who takes the very worst and transforms it into something extraordinary and brilliant. After the cross comes the resurrection. After the suffering comes the joy. After Jesus' death comes Jesus' eternal and indestructible life. So I want us to see together today the message of Easter is good news for a broken world and it's good news for broken people like us. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. What is the good news of Easter? Well, let's listen together now to one of the four gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus written by a man called Matthew. And then let's think together about what that means for us. The first part of today's reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through to 15. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, 
You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now what strikes me again and again when I read the gospel accounts of the very first Easter Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead, is just how full they are of flesh and blood, real, imperfect people like us. We see the disciples stricken by grief or doubting that this has really happened. We see frightened religious leaders desperately trying to cover up the resurrection of Jesus. There's such a ring of truth about it all. This story clearly takes place in the real world where we live today. Now, Matthew's account of the resurrection begins, as they all do, with some women walking to Jesus' tomb early on a Sunday morning, the day after the Jewish Sabbath. Now, there's nothing particularly special or heroic about these women. Matthew names them for us as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, verse 1. These were women who had followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. They had seen Jesus die on the cross three days earlier. And they'd seen the tomb where his body was buried. And now they're here, Matthew tells us in verse 1, to look at the tomb. Now, two of the other gospel writers, Mark and Luke, tell us that the women went to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body with spices as a sign of respect. But Matthew, it seems, chooses instead to emphasise the overwhelming grief and sadness these women felt. See, all their hopes for Jesus, the man they had loved and trusted in, had been destroyed when he was arrested and crucified by the Romans. See, it's all these women can do just to look at the tomb and try to comprehend what had happened to their friend. Now, Matthew tells us they're walking to the tomb at dawn on the first day of the week. Now, on one level, this just shows their eagerness to get to the tomb as early as they can. These women couldn't sleep. They're still so overwhelmed with grief. But more than that, I think Matthew wants us to see something here. See, by reminding us that all this happened at dawn on the first day of the week. He's preparing us for something. See, this is a new beginning. This is the first day in a transformed world. Everything is about to change because of what these women are about to witness. Just look at verses 2 to 4 again. Now, just as angels were active at the birth of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, so an angel plays a key role at the resurrection of Jesus too. Now, back in chapter 27, in the closing verses, Matthew tells us the Jewish religious leaders arranged for guards to be posted at Jesus' tomb. They wanted to prevent Jesus' disciples from stealing Jesus' body. But verses 2 to 4, the arrival of an angel of the Lord quickly sends these guards running. There's a violent earthquake, verse 2. The angel arrives and the guards are absolutely terrified, verse 4. In verse 11, we learn that before the women even arrived at the tomb, the guards had fled into the city to report what had just happened to the chief priests. Now, I love that Matthew includes people who denied the resurrection of Jesus had really taken place in his gospel. See, acts as a powerful reminder for all Matthew's readers, Jesus rising from the dead 
is a message that has always divided people and that has always been rejected by some. I can think of a man rising from the dead. Well, that's a hard thing for anyone to believe. And in spite of what we might sometimes think, people in the first century weren't any more gullible than we are today. In fact, you could argue people in the first century were more familiar with death and dead bodies than we are today. They couldn't hide from those realities the way we can in our modern culture. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that there were people in Jesus' day who denied that Jesus could have been raised from the dead. It's a hard message to believe for people living at any point in history. But when you look a little closer at Matthew's account of the guards and the chief priests, we quickly discover that the first resurrection deniers didn't do so because they were a bit more sceptical than other people. No, Matthew makes it clear for us. The first people who denied that Jesus had risen from the dead did so in a deliberate effort to suppress the truth. See, for the chief priests, the resurrection of Jesus was an inconvenient truth they chose to reject. That's why they bribed the guards with a large sum of money, verse 12, to spread the story that Jesus' disciples had stolen the body. And we might ask, well, why did the Jewish religious leaders reject the good news of Easter? Well, because they knew if Jesus really has risen from the dead, well, that changes everything. It proves that Jesus really was the Son of God. And as a result, they could no longer ignore him. They could no longer reject him. Instead, they'd have to bow the knee and worship him. And Matthew is clear with us here. That is something they were just not prepared to do. And what about us today? Matthew's clear with us here. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Jesus really is alive today. But for some of us, we reject that message because like the Jewish religious leaders here, it's an inconvenient truth. You see, if Jesus really has risen from the dead, if Jesus really is the risen king Matthew tells us he is, then we can no longer live as if we are in charge of our lives or this world. We can no longer ignore Jesus' words or his claims over us. If Jesus really is risen from the dead, well, we need to listen to him. We need to follow him. We need to live with him as Lord of our lives instead of ourselves. And as a result, we all have a vested interest in rejecting the good news of Easter, just as the religious leaders did. But try as they might, the religious leaders couldn't cover up the good news of the resurrection. And why not? Well, because Jesus' disciples were just so utterly transformed by meeting the risen Jesus. See, according to Matthew and according to all the other New Testament writers, Jesus really is alive today. And that is a life-changing truth. See, it's important to remember here that if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, well, none of us would ever have heard of him. See, there were plenty of Messiah-like figures wandering around Palestine in the first century. And without the resurrection, we would have just forgotten about Jesus just in the same way as we've forgotten about all the rest. 
But you see, Matthew and the other gospel writers insist Jesus really was raised by God on the first Easter Sunday. And as a result, none of Jesus' disciples were ever the same again. See, Matthew and the other gospel writers, they insist on an astonishing truth we sometimes miss. The first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Now, in the culture of first century Israel, women were often sidelined, regarded as less important than men. They couldn't even give evidence in a Jewish court. They were seen as unreliable. And yet, here these women are, spoken to, by an angel of the Lord. And then they meet the risen Jesus himself before he meets with any of his male disciples. It's as if God wants to make it absolutely clear to us the good news of Easter is for all people. Men and women. People the world regards as important and people the world regards as unimportant. You could even describe these women here as the very first Christians in that they are the first people to meet the risen Jesus. You could certainly describe them as the very first evangelists because the angel gives them a message to proclaim the good news of the resurrection to the other disciples in verse 7. And they hurry away, afraid yet filled with joy, verse 8 tells us. But on the way, they meet the risen Jesus. And again, I love the way Matthew puts it in verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Suddenly Jesus broke into their world. Suddenly everything has changed because Jesus is speaking to them. And more than that, Jesus is welcoming them as friends. Greetings, he says. Do not be afraid. Yes, it's really me, he's saying. I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever. The powers of sin and death couldn't hold me. I've defeated them. And now I want to share my victory with you and with everyone who trusts in me. See, these women were the first people to discover the good news of Easter. Jesus is alive. And as a result, everything has changed. And Matthew goes on in the closing verses of his gospel to show us the huge difference the resurrection of Jesus makes to the lives of everyone who trusts in Jesus. So let's listen to those verses now. Our second reading is from verses 16 to 20 of Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, as many of you know, we ran an Easter egg hunt around Clarendon Park last week. And at the end of the egg hunt, everyone could take away a goodie bag, which included chocolate eggs, glow sticks, puzzles, and some short booklets that explain the message of Easter. And one of these booklets was this one, Easter in Three Words. And I want to finish our time today in Matthew 28 by suggesting there are three words 
that capture something of the difference the resurrection of Jesus makes to our life together as a church family and our lives as Christians in this world. Now, full disclosure, they're not the same words that are in this tract, so apologies to the writer, but I think they help us capture and remember the difference the risen Jesus makes to our lives. Plus, there are three words that begin with the same letter, P, and that never happens in one of my sermons, so I want to use them. So what are those three words that capture the difference Easter makes to our lives? Well, they are purpose, power, or par, and presence. Let's look at those three words as we finish now. Well, first of all, the word purpose. Because Jesus is alive today, we now have a glorious purpose as his people. See, the risen Jesus is clear with his disciples in Matthew 28. The good news of the resurrection is not a message they are to keep to themselves. Look at verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, because Jesus is alive today, because Jesus has shown himself to be God's risen king over all creation, he calls on everyone who trusts in him to make disciples for him in this world. And what does it mean to make disciples for Jesus? Well, it means we tell other people the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then we call on them to follow Jesus and learn from him, just as we follow Jesus and learn from him in our lives. Jesus points out two vital parts of disciple making here. Baptizing people in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all of Jesus' commands. The commands they like the sound of and the commands they don't. You see, no Christian ever stops being a disciple of Jesus because there is always more of Jesus to learn and to follow in our lives. And every Christian has a part to play in Jesus' calling here to make disciples wherever Jesus has placed us in life. See, the risen Jesus reminds every Christian watching this today, we have a glorious purpose in this world. Making disciples for the risen Jesus is what we're here for as a church family at Avenue. That's why Jesus doesn't just whisk us up to heaven the minute we trust in him. The risen Jesus has work for us to do. He calls on us to join the family business, to join with the God of grace, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in building his church and making disciples. And I was reminded of this purpose just a few days ago when I was on that egg hunt with my daughter and the family of a friend of hers. Now, there was another family doing the egg hunt, just walking just ahead of us, socially distanced, of course. And it was a mother with three young children. And I recognised her two sons from our holiday club running on Zoom. So I said hello to them. And the mother then asked me a question. Why are you doing this? Why are you putting on an egg hunt and a holiday club? And I was able to tell her that we're a local church who loves Jesus. And we want everyone to hear the good news of Jesus dying and rising again for us. Now, the mother replied that she was a Muslim, 
but she was really thankful to us for putting on this club for her children. Now, our conversation ended there. I didn't have the opportunity to say more about who Jesus was to that woman, but her two sons kept coming to the club. They heard all about the cross and the resurrection. And it was just such a powerful reminder to me of why we run egg hunts and holiday clubs as a church. See, the risen Jesus has put people in each one of our lives to love and to disciple. Whether that's meeting someone on an egg hunt around Clarendon Park, or whether it's the people in our families, in our workplaces, in our streets, in our friendship groups. See, because Jesus is alive today, we have a glorious purpose as his people, to make disciples for him. But if you're anything like me, that purpose Jesus gives us in these verses can just frighten us sometimes. The idea of speaking to someone else about Jesus just daunts us, even terrifies us. Well, if that's how you feel when you hear these words of Jesus here, I want you to see you're not alone. That's how some of Jesus' first disciples also felt. Take a look at verse 17 again. When they saw him, that is the risen Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's quite a surprising description, isn't it? I mean, here is the risen Jesus standing in front of them, showing him to be alive. They could hear him speak. They could touch him if they wanted to. So why are they doubting him? I'm sure we would love to have been there on that day. If I could just see the risen Jesus, we think, I would never doubt. So what does it mean that some doubted? Well, the Greek word Matthew uses here, translated doubted, refers more to hesitation than to unbelief. See, it seems these disciples didn't necessarily doubt that Jesus was risen and standing in front of them. It's more these disciples doubted themselves. These disciples were fearful of what lay ahead of them. They didn't know what a life lived for Jesus might involve. They were frightened that the world that rejected and killed Jesus might turn around and reject and even kill them. And you look ahead into the New Testament, you discover those fears were not unfounded. Most, if not all, of Jesus' original disciples were martyred for their faith in him, along with much of the early church that suffered persecution at the hands of the Roman and Jewish authorities. So what does the risen Jesus say to us in our fear and our inadequacy. Well, that's the second word I want to leave us with today. Power. Because Jesus is alive today, we have his power available to us. Look at verses 18 to 20 again, and all the times the word all appears. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, he tells us. He tells us to make disciples for him of all nations. He tells us to teach people everything or all things I have commanded you. And then he promises to be with us always to the very end of the age. Now, why does Jesus keep pointing to his power and authority here? Well, he wants us to know as his followers, he really is the risen king over all creation. And as a result, Jesus really can give life to the spiritually dead. And he chooses to do that 
through our witness as his people in this world. As we seek to live for him and love the people around us and speak for him whenever we have the opportunity. I love the way the evangelist Becky Manley Pippert links the power of the resurrection with the power available to us when we share the gospel with someone. She writes this, If the Spirit of God could raise Jesus from death to life, if he could revitalize dead brain cells, restore collapsed lungs, restart a heart and give Jesus his transformed glorified new body, then that same spirit can cause those who are spiritually dead to become alive to God. It's an amazing description, isn't it? See, the good news of Easter that we need to grasp hold of today is that the risen Jesus has the power to transform anyone's life. Just think for a moment of some of the people in your life. Maybe they're friends or family members or colleagues you've longed to see know Jesus for years now. Maybe you've been praying for them for years with seemingly no result. Well, today, let's all take heart from the power of the resurrection. With the power of the risen Jesus on our side and at work within us, there are no lost causes. Take heart from that. Keep praying for the people you love. Keep asking God for opportunities to speak to them and keep asking the risen Jesus to give new life to them by the same spirit he gave new life to him 2,000 years ago. And the final word, beginning with P, I want to leave us with today, very much follows on from this. See, because Jesus is alive today, we have a glorious purpose. We have his power available to us. And finally, we have his presence with us always. That is the precious promise Jesus leaves us all with in verse 20. And surely, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why is the resurrection of Jesus such good news for us today? Because Jesus assures us here, he is alive and he is always with us as we seek to live for him. The risen Jesus assures us he will never leave us or forsake us. We never have to live for him on our own. He promises us he will give us his spirit to help us and he will answer our prayers as our great high priest in heaven. Jesus is alive. Jesus is with us and Jesus is committed to helping us make disciples for him in this world. See, like the first disciples in Matthew 28, we often feel weak and hesitant about making disciples in this world. But if that's how you feel, but believe it or not, you're in the right place for the risen Jesus to work through you. Because the truth is, we are weak. We can't make disciples for Jesus in our own strength or relying on our own abilities. And Jesus never intends us to. Instead, Jesus calls on us to pray to him. He calls on us to depend on him completely for our lives and for our witness for him in this world. We are weak, but the risen Jesus is strong and he promises always to be with us. And he chooses to use weak people like us so that we serve him not in our pride, not on the crazy belief we are somehow better than the people we're sharing the gospel with, but that we serve him in dependence and trust in his saving power and his ability to give life to the spiritually dead just as he has done 
in our lives. See, the message of Easter, it's good news for a broken world. And it's good news for broken people like us. Matthew shows us in his account of the resurrection, Jesus really did rise from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem. And Jesus really is alive today. And as a result, if we put our trust in Jesus as our risen King, we have a glorious purpose in this world to make disciples for Jesus wherever he has placed us. We have his resurrection power available to us. The risen Jesus can save and transform anyone and we have his presence with us always. We are never alone when we trust in Jesus and live for him in this world. That is the good news of Easter in three words, purpose, power and presence. So let's praise Jesus today for the good news of his resurrection and let's take him at his word and pray that he might use us to make disciples for him in the weeks, months and years to come.